Just a quick announcement before you get into this episode of Cybersecurity Decoded. Our latest annual report is now available to download for free. That's free of fees and free of registration. You can just download it from selabs.uk slash AR. And if you want to know about threat intelligence, details of how we test security products, and find out who won in our security awards, grab it as soon as you can from selabs.uk slash AR. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Decoded, providing in-depth insight into cybersecurity. What is the attack chain? Why is it good to test using full attack chains? And what are some of the alternative approaches with their pros and cons? We'll try to answer all of these questions and more in this special presentation episode recorded at the AVAR conference in Singapore in December 2022. Show notes, including any links mentioned in the show, are available at decodedcyber.com. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for being in the room to listen to my fascinating talk about targeted attacks and testing with targeted attacks. Now, we heard these gentlemen talking about ransomware. Um, in my opinion, ransomware threat is very important. But ransomware is a payload. Uh, so we talked again about hygiene, cyber hygiene. Attackers have to go all the way through the systems uh, in order to deploy the ransomware. So if you patch your systems, if you do all those other good things, MFA, that kind of thing, it does, in my opinion, massively reduce the chances of a ransomware attack. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. So my name is Simon Edwards. I'm the CEO of SE Labs. Uh, you'll see our logo on your wonderful grey t-shirts and your packs. Uh, and we're a security testing organisation. And we test lots of different kinds of technologies. You probably, if you know about us, you'll know that we test antivirus kind of stuff. But we'll also do massive firewalls, you know, 100, 200,000 pound firewalls, network intrusion systems, that kind of thing. Um, and if you've got artificial intelligence built in, even better, because we'd really love to know if that actually works or not. Now, we test for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is the cybersecurity industry is worth many, many billions of dollars. People are buying this stuff um, by the pile. It's extremely expensive. And the, the consequence of not buying it is getting hacked, having ransomware, that kind of thing. So as a result, there's a big competition to sell security products to us all and to the rest of the world. And some of the marketing claims that we see are, quite honestly, not believable, um, and some of them are fairly reasonable. So we try and cut through uh, the unsubstantiated claims, and we say, well, does this firewall really stop the threats? Is it really that fast? Can it be fast and stop the threats? Because that is an issue as well. Um, do these endpoint protect protection systems detect? Do they protect? Do they do both? Let's, let's find out. And, and maybe they do detect some kinds of threats. Maybe the ones that we get in our junk email boxes every day, but maybe they're not so good with targeted attacks. And as we're seeing, targeted attacks are very serious and very likely to end up with a ransomware situation. So we're trying to help the big companies that are spending millions of dollars on security make educated decisions um, about which things they're choosing to buy. 
But we're also on the side of the security vendors as well, strangely. We're not just out there saying, this is good, this is bad. If we find that a product doesn't do what it says, we will talk to the companies that make it, and we will explain in detail what's gone wrong. Because we don't want to say, well done, you get a badge, bad luck, you're rubbish. We want to be able to say, look, you've got a problem. Here's how you can fix it. And at the end of it, people are able to buy the good products and fix products that aren't so good. And then the world's slightly more secure. Now, I've always been told that to explain a joke makes it funnier. In this situation, we've got some crash test dummies, and they've been told not to fasten their seat belts. Seat belts. And the reason for that is you want to see what happens when something goes wrong and things aren't patched in a the, in the software context. So when we test, we don't necessarily patch everything properly. We don't necessarily use the very latest version of Windows because we're trying to reflect reality, what really happens in the real world. People probably aren't using the very latest Intel processors, for example. They possibly are using default settings. Maybe they shouldn't. So we try and look at suboptimal conditions as well as optimal conditions. And as we go through the rest of this talk and we start talking about using targeted attacks, this is quite important because if you have Windows 11 fully patched on the latest Intel systems, you actually are quite well secured against many of the attacks that, that we're seeing in the real world. And I'm sure as the antivirus world, you'll be seeing as well. So I'm pretty sure most of you know what the attack chain is, but I'm going to really dig into that um, later on in this talk. We're going to say, do you test at the beginning of an attack, at the end, if there is such a thing as an end, or somewhere in the middle, or do you do the whole thing? And we're also going to talk about atomic testing, nothing to do with nuclear technology. Um, it's more about getting into the detail of things. And finally, we're going to look into what do you actually want to know? So if I'm buying a firewall or an endpoint product or something like that, am I trying to stop all threats? Am I trying to plug a gap in my security stack? Maybe I'm really happy that I've got um, a signature-based AV and I just want to make sure that my users can't go to certain websites, for example. Or maybe I just want to comply with some rules, some regulation that says I have to have AV on my network, so anything will do. People have different reasons for, uh, for deploying security. And it may be that I'm willing to choose something that isn't on paper quite as good because it's compatible with other products I have, or my team is already trained in certain types of products. So just plucking a name out of the air, Fortinet, for example, they've got products across the range. And if my team is really well trained on Fortinet files, maybe that will make me more inclined to go um, to a Fortinet email uh, gateway or endpoint or something like that. And you know, I touched on this earlier. Why do you want to know these answers? If you're an AV company, uh, you might, your marketing department will want to know if you get a badge. But you guys probably want to know why didn't we detect that? How can we detect it? Or maybe it doesn't matter that we didn't detect it because we would block it anyway. Now, the reason that we test the way that we do, which is to say not automated, we've got a team of hackers, good hackers, I hasten to add, uh, although we might be richer if we weren't, good hackers in the UK who constantly test these products. We do it in a way that you can repeat it. And the reason that's important is if I tell you that your product doesn't work properly, um, I need to be able to prove that to you. And you want to be able to play with it in the lab as well and try things and try and fix it and, and repeat it. So I can prove that I'm not lying about my results, but I can also help you improve the product as well. And then 
there is the marketing element where if I produce a report and say Norton LifeLock is great or AVG is terrible or whatever it happens to be, um, people have to understand why that's important. And if I say I tested with some malware, that doesn't really mean anything to anyone out in the real world. Um, but if I say I, I did this targeted attack that was the same as was used against the, um, the Democratic Party in the US or against a nuclear facility in Ukraine or, or whatever, people can understand that. It's a lot easier to get your head around. But this isn't a penetration test. Um, so a penetration test is where I'd come to your company and say, let me break into your systems. What we're doing is we're breaking into our own systems and using these technologies to try and detect what we're doing, maybe to block us. Now, atomic testing, I'm sure a lot of you know about the myth of the elephant and the blind man or the, the blindfolded people. Um, if you only look at one part of a thing, you don't really understand it. So, you know, you might feel the trunk and think, well, I've got a snake here. Or I might feel the legs and go, well, this feels like a tree to me. You've got to open your eyes and say, what is this thing I'm looking at? And so to put it into a security context, you could say, well, this product I've got here, it says it's got anti-exploits on it. Is that all it does? Well, it's got AI, great. AI for what? And, you know, maybe it's just an antivirus product with lots of cool marketing terms attached to it. So taking a broader look at a test and testing it fully from beginning to end, that can be very useful. So the attack chain in the context of this talk simply means the full story of an attack from the very beginning to the end. And as the gentleman here alluded to earlier, actually not a lot has changed in the last 22 years. If you were to read a copy of Hacking Exposed Second Edition from about uh, the year 2000, I would say, you're going to see the hackers are doing the same thing today as they were then. They're doing reconnaissance, they're maybe running some exploits, they may be fooling people with social engineering, and then they're achieving persistence, they're stealing data, they're causing damage. It's largely the same picture. Ransomware is just a payload at the end of this attack chain. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with MITRE. For those who aren't, MITRE take certain attack groups and they explain what happens generally. They, they list the tactics and the other ways that things work. So there's a website that MITRE has called the, um, the Navigator, and this is what an attack chain looks like generally. So it starts off with some reconnaissance at the beginning on the far left, and it works its way across to the right, uh, where they get further access, steal stuff, break stuff. And we can zoom in, and you can see a bit closer there. This attack starts with a spear phishing link. So, you know, not a file, there's a link to another website. You go there, there's an exploit, some PowerShell gets involved, they steal some credentials, and they get into the registry and achieve persistence. Now, the bad guys can do this, but so can the good guys. We can test. Any of us in this room probably could test like this. Just copy APT3 and you'll know what would happen if the same guys did the same thing again in the future. And like us, you can do variations because they're not going to be using exactly the same executable file. Don't use the stuff you get from VirusTotal. Do something similar and you'll get a similar result. And you can almost predict the future. So here's a general approach to how we do the testing. You've got to deliver the threat in some way. If I just drop the threat onto the desktop, I have bypassed those products different methods of detection. I've just gone straight past any email filtering, anything else like that. It's not really fair, unless I'm only interested in one part of this. So you've got the delivery. You've then got the execution of the threat. It could be PowerShell, it could be an exe, it could be an HTS file, whatever. 
Um, and then something happens. In most cases, as we've seen in one of the other talks, um, I think it was the checkpoint one, they start looking at what's going on on the network. What system am I on? What systems can I connect to? If you're a tester and you don't do that, you're not being very realistic. You've got to generate some realistic noise, give the product a chance to detect what would actually happen. To do a lot of the cool stuff, like keylogging and things like that, you need further privileges. Uh, if you're going to steal credentials as well, you kind of need to be like the systems administrator. You can't just be a user. So escalating privileges is another common stage in an attack that testers can do. Um, it also increases the chances of being detected, but that's, that's fine. That's what we're looking for. And then after that, you can do your credential stealing and keylogging, that kind of business. And then again, as was mentioned earlier by the chairman of the panel, you've got SMB shares, lateral movement. If you can block those um, in a real world, great. Um, but as a tester, you probably don't want to because you want to try and move through. And then if CrowdStrike or other products go, hang on a minute, I've seen that, and I want to stop it, you're giving them a chance to demonstrate their features. And finally, lateral movement. If I break into someone's desktop, I'm probably not going to ransomware their desktop. I'm going to get further into the network and deploy the ransomware throughout. Again, a tester might choose not to go that far, but you're, you're limiting your conclusions to the report if you don't do the full attack chain. This is how we present it in our reports. So much like you had the spear phishing and the PowerShell and the registry, we have spear phishing PowerShell registry, just done in a slightly more friendly way for the grannies to read our reports. Now, this is how we could do APT3, otherwise known as Gothic Panda. Uh, spear phishing link, Windows PowerShell, uh, sorry, Windows Command Shell. And then we look for files, we look for processes, and we look for other parts of the system's information. Then we escalate privileges. Um, we want to steal some credentials, so it's necessary. And then we start keylogging. We achieve persistence. As testers, we don't need to be persistent, but it's the right thing to do. And then finally, we move through some admin shares. And by doing that, we've copied uh, what Gothic Panda APT3 did. And we're not using the same malware. We're doing the same activities. So if a product or set of products, because you can combine, uh, if that detects most of that, some of that, whatever, you can feel fairly confident that if similar attackers come to your network, you're going to detect them. It's not fair to test all products thoroughly like that, though. So imagine you've got a firewall. Um, the firewall can detect the initial entry of the attack, and it maybe can detect some of the exfiltrations, people connecting back to a C2, stealing information. But when you escalate privileges, the firewall's got no way of seeing that. So you shouldn't, if you're a tester, condemn the firewall failing to detect things happening just on endpoints, for example. And finally, you can, detect, you can uh, test things in protection or detection mode. If you're familiar with MITRE, they generally do things in detection mode. And that might be what you want. You want to know, will this endpoint act as like a, a CCTV system on my network? Um, I don't want it to stop stuff, I just want it to tell me. Or you might want it to block things. But if you're a tester and you test in detection mode, what you're doing is you're allowing the product to demonstrate its abilities all the way down the attack chain. Whereas if you test in protection mode, it might stop right at the beginning of the attack, and then that's the end of the test, and you'll never know if it could have detected other things. 
Uh, false positive testing is super boring but super necessary. I could witter on for an hour about that. I'm not going to. Um, but if you want to know more, please come and find me. Um, and these are the kind of reports we do. You've got advanced files. You've got breach detection systems. You've got, yeah, all sorts of things. I'm going to hurry up slightly. But so I'm going to finish with a two-minute story. Uh, because we test realistically, sometimes bad guys come onto our test network and mess with us. So I'm going to explain what happens in a, an attack I'm going to call Grumpy Sloth. So in this case, um, it was a couple of years ago now, we're running an endpoint test, and we visited a bad URL with a, a regular PC. We don't use VMs. We try and keep everything as real as possible. Um, and some guy exploited our team viewer with a DLL sideload, very cool, whatever. Um, and we waited for him to start doing bad stuff. And normally, this stuff is automated. So we see process monitor lights up, and it's all very exciting. Um, but in this case, actually, nothing happened. Uh, and six hours later, a real person connected to our system, uploaded some tools, and tried to protect them, but not well enough for us. We uploaded his tools to VirusTotal. They weren't detected by anything. Um, so that was cool. That's cool for the, for the whole community. But unfortunately for us, he noticed, because it's a real person, he could see that we were monitoring him. And it was a him, I'm pretty sure. Um, and then he destroyed all of his evidence, but we'd already saved it, so that's funny. And he then created a very rude message for us in the directory telling us to do something to ourselves. And that's why I'm assuming he's a male. And then he disconnected and went away. So we then put all the IOCs on our website. Anyone can download those. Um, and that's it. So my point is test realistically. Be prepared for rude, horrible people to jump on your network. And um, I probably don't have time for questions. Maybe 30 seconds. No? Well, I'm around for the next day and a half, so if you want to come and talk to me about testing and hacking, please do. Thank you very much. And now, just before we finish, it's security life hack time. At the end of each episode, we give a special security tip that works for real people in the real world, for work and in personal lives. And this episode's life hacker is, well, me. Um, I'm Simon Edwards, founder and CEO of SE Labs, uh, co-chair of the Anti-Malware Testing Standards Organization and rider of motorbikes, player of electric guitars and possibly not someone you should play cards with. The security life hack I'd like to pass on is to use at least two bank accounts. First, use an account with one of the newer so-called challenger banks for your day-to-day -day business. You know, things like grocery shopping, grabbing a coffee and paying for parking. They make life easy when it comes to managing your money. They bring banking into the 21st century with their apps and other things. And if you're still queuing at a branch to pay in checks now, it's time to start catching up because both of those things, checks and branches, well, they're becoming increasingly rare. And you can often deposit checks from home using an app. But some people are worried about losing money to hackers and scammers. And this high-tech approach, these new accounts, they can be intimidating. So my tip is to use this newer bank account to spend money on a day-to-day -day basis. Get used to the contactless payment options available with the debit cards they provide and the smartphone apps, and keep a reasonable working balance in that account. But store the bulk of your money in another account, and never share the details of this with anyone, including online stores. If your account is hacked or someone tricks you into providing access, the bad guys can't get all of your money. 
And this tip allows you to bank in the modern world while reducing your risks. And now here's a bonus tip. Countries like the US and the UK have schemes to protect you in the event that your bank goes out of business. But there is a limit. If you have a lot of savings and more than the limit, you can gain great protection by splitting your funds across multiple banks as long as they're not owned by the same overarching organisation. Please subscribe, and if you enjoyed this episode, please send a link to just one of your close colleagues. We also have a free email newsletter. Sign up on our website, where you'll also find this episode's show notes and bonus episodes featuring full-length interviews with our guests. Just visit decodedcyber.com. And that's it. Thank you for listening. This is the last episode of the series, so make sure you do sign up to the newsletter and you'll find out when we're back. Hope to see you again soon.